everyone. Welcome to a special edition Comic Vine podcast. We have some writer commentary, writer and artist of a pretty cool book, really cool book, The Bunker. We have Joshua Hill Fieldcoff and Joe Infernari. Hey, yeah. Tony. Hey. So, um, I'm Joe. Yeah, I guess we could do that. I'm Tony, by the way, obviously. So I'm Tony. You're Tony. Congratulations on issue one of the printed from Oni Press selling out 24 hours. Yeah, I think it was technically less than that. Like we started getting word from retailers like four hours into the sales day that they couldn't get that their orders were going to backlist. So it's uh it's pretty cool. And you know, the thing about it that's crazy is that the the kind of the logic of the market was doing what they would consider what most people would consider a reprint of digital material, of material that's already been released is not a way to make a successful book, but like it sold way better than we expected. You know, and the fact that it sold out, like they, they did a very healthy overprint and we sold it out super fast. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Now, yeah. this is um, the first five chapters of the digital version, correct? Yes. Okay, right. so you're getting five chapters for three ninety nine, plus the added colors, which are gorgeous. They're crazy. Um, so when we and the, the idea for us was like we didn't want to just do, um, we didn't want to just do like the take a half pages and assemble them. I I've done, uh, I did a bunch of those DC digital stories and I love them and I'm really proud of them. But one of the weird things is like, there's two, there's sort of two ways to make those comics, which is like you either start by writing a full page and then you let your artist just sort of lop them in half or worse. You let editorial lop them in half or the other ways you write it as half pages. And then when it comes time for the, the print version, they just, they just slap them together. Um, and one of the things about comics that like the, the most important part of comics is the page turn, you know? And so we early on, Joe and I talked a lot about like, well, if we go to print, how would we do this? And we'd originally tried to do it where you, you would, we, we would put the pages together, just one, you know, take page one and page two and turn them into a single page. And we quickly realized that like, we want more freedom than that. And we wanted more, like we wanted more, more range to be able to actually put page turns and actually put shocking moments wherever we wanted them instead of being stuck knowing that every two pages are actually one page. Um, and so my beloved Joe, my beloved partner here, <laughs> was hoisted on his own guitar, <laughs> I believe. You want to talk, Joe? Can you talk about yeah. the misery? <laughs> the misery yeah, of the we, past. Well. Yeah, it started, like Josh said, with like stacking them, and then I sent out a PDF of that. And, um, you know, it was never, I don't think we had, had any illusions about the fact that we were never going to actually do this, but it was just sort of to see how it read and uh, and so on. And so it was It was interesting because what it, it brought to light is some of the ways that actually just doing that will not work for this story because of the the time jumps the different the like the each chat each of the first five chapters are kind of told from a single character's point of view based on like their letter from the future and so you know in in cases where you know half pages would break between one character character and another the i in the captions would be different so we had to kind of be mindful of that so 
it, we really did kind of like take the five digital issues that we have and sort of treat them like raw material for this print issue. And so nothing was nothing was kind of like sacred. We basically took the car apart and rebuilt it. And hopefully this time it's a Ferrari. And we and we and we were doing it like while we were finishing the digital chapter five because chapter five right. was the only late uh, digital chapter. And that's because like as we were working on this, we were like, all right, so there's things we need to help us get where we need to go. That like when you look at it as an issue, you don't need when you're looking at them as chapters. And so chapter five, digital chapter five is of all of the chapters is the one that's kind of least intact because we, mm-hmm. we stole pieces from it. Like we moved it around and the, probably the biggest thing is the first, like the first two pages of the print comic are actually what, like the first four pages of the digital, yeah. digital chapter like five. That, yeah. Um, yeah, they would have know, to like be, had, or maybe the first three, I think. Yeah. The, Yeah. And that gives us, and, I, and that's something like the the idea of wrapping the story in the photograph was something that was. I feel like it was actually something that was missing in the digital comic. It was missing as like a through line. But as we, you know, as we did the book and as we were looking at it as one complete story, it was like, oh right, we need an artifact. Like we, we need something to prove to them that the thing that's happening to them happened. And having like while each of them getting like their own little piece of information that tells them something works having sort of something that you hold in your hand that's a complete impossibility that you 100% know its origin and then know that it can't be where it is felt like too good an opportunity and it made a great cover so i i think we should back up a little also just explain in case someone's like it's like oh i haven't read this yet so, like that, the premise of the well, story. Well, they should go read it. It's, yeah. We're going to totally spoil it. We're going to yeah. spoil everything about it. Yeah. All right. So, pause this right now. Go buy the issue. Right. Buy the second print uh, or something. Well, yeah, you're going to have to wait till March it. 16th. Well, so or or they it's can available get on it. Comicsology. Exactly. On Comicsology, which was our parent where we started our first our first home. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can probably still get it at your local comic book shop because uh, everyone ordered those last few copies. So yeah. people should be getting their copies like right when you release this. So that's, and it's it sold out through Diamond, but comic shops right. might still have a copy or two. Because comics is not complicated at all. It's yeah. a really straightforward way to buy things that you want to yeah. read. Yeah, because I always hear that. We're like, it's not sold out. My comic store still has like five copies. or It's like, it's like yeah. they can't order anymore. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. What's nice is that it wasn't spec like the first sales weren't really speculator driven. I don't think so because of that like people are actually like most retailers. Just anecdotally, it seems like most retailers are sold out. I know like of the shops I've been to in L.A., almost all of them have like maybe one or two copies left. Hmm. So it's 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 going fast. But yes, it's also available digitally. Like we're we're staying true to our roots. Um, so yeah, if if for some reason you want us to tell you everything about the book without actually bothering to read it, um, <laughs> it is the it is about a group of friends who discover a military style bunker from the future, um, and in this bunker they find proof that they collectively are going to cause the apocalypse. Dun dun dun. And then and then they have to decide like, do they throw away their hopes and dreams in order to save the world, or do they keep marching along? and lead the world all the way to destruction. Yeah, you thought it was tough kind of navigating your own life from day to day when you didn't have to worry about every step you take possibly leading to the apocalypse. But these guys have kind of got I got to be honest, around. Joe. 
this is actually more autobiographical than I've ever told you before because I'm pretty sure that my actions are going to lead to either the salvation or destruction of everyone in the world. I'm pretty. I'm a lot more important than I've let than I've let on this whole time. Well, I did. I recently. That reminds <laughs> me. I recently did a signing uh, with Stuart Moore and Gus Storms of uh, Egos. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why that comes to mind. Go, Cher, <laughs> what were you going to say, Josh? What were you saying? Nothing. Something about saving the world. <laughs> That's a jerk. That's a jerk. <laughs> Save the cheerleader, right? Yes. People are like, what? There's cheerleaders yeah, in the watching. He got to prioritize. Nobody, nobody remembers it. It's all gone. Um, one of the things, like my favorite thing in the book that I actually don't know where it came from is uh, the the like the future stuff. When I described it in the script, I think was pretty vague. Um, I think I probably said like the Brooklyn Bridge, like the shot of the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. But as we go through the first first book, like the way you portray the future is so cool. Like what what's sort of your grounding for it? Like what's your in terms of like not just what's left standing in terms of architecture, but the new stuff that's being built and sort of like how did you how did you approach the world building stuff? Um, well, for, you know, one of the things, like, in some cases, it's like prehistory. So I'm trying to kind of, like, in the, for example, on, I guess it's what, page one, two, three, five, five. Um, you see the Brooklyn Bridge, you know, devastated, but you also see that the Freedom Tower is still intact. So it's a little bit of that. Like, I had to kind of do research on, like, well, what would the finished, what's the proposed finished Freedom Tower complex supposed to look like? So some of it is, you know, kind of being, like, future historically accurate. Um, right. And some of the, the rest of it is just kind of, I didn't, you know, I guess to not get too crazy with the architecture, not too glass and steel bubbles and stuff like that, but more kind of like a... Um, an idea of like the uh, future coming from kind of like more like maybe seventies science fiction, like uh, you know, was it THX one one three eight? Kind of like very cl- like kind of clean in spots, but industrial. Right. Um, I've also mentioned in other interviews that I I really like Children of Men when the way it, it depicted the future it was very kind of refreshing to me at that time because it was so much like kind of. Just an exaggerated horribleness of our existing world. Um, right. You know, it just seemed like a lot of the same structures were in place, but there would be like little technological differences. So, in my mind, the future, there's like a great deal of like information technology innovation, but there's still like, you know, the economic and other problems that just mean that infrastructure is kind of decaying and uh, kind of ugly. When it's it's uh, like, did you watch? Uh, have you seen her yet? No, not yet. The Spike Jones movie. You should go see it. You really like yeah. it. It's also it's got that same kind of thing where it's like if you if you take where we stand right now and you add you know thirty or forty years to it, mm-hmm. like we're not economically, it's impossible for them to rebuild everything into fancy. Like we're not right. going to have monorails everywhere. Like it's just not going to happen. But you might have like a you know like a better train system, like a slightly improved subway system like everything is sort of like incrementally better even though it's you know 30 years or 20 years into the future mm-hmm. and i think that's something in your face her <laughs> that movie's got nothing except for the academy awards that should win because it's awesome um yeah. yeah it's that's one of the that's like one of the my favorite things in the book is when i get uh when i get art from you that has the sort of like twisted the twisted architecture 
and the you know the it, it adds story because as I see things I start kind of extrapolating out from what you're doing mm. um, you know so it's always it's always that part of it's always a lot of fun for me that's cool um, do you want to talk about how Billy looks like a young you and that uh, <laughs> that's really the secret of the book is that you're just drawing you're just it's drawing the only way I can really be, it's your, the only way I can stay motivated is like to find out what erotic, I'm doing next it's, it's the erotic journey of Joe Yes, the erotic <laughs> journey through the apocalypse by Joe. <laughs> it's about um, time. Yeah, it's the apocalypse is getting sexy with Billy. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it was sort of like uh, I I probably drew Heidi first, and then I kind of was like, well, they're brother and sister, so you know there should be some kind of likeness, and then the, the glasses, and it just kind of ended up that way. I think the first drawing I did of Billy. You know, superficially, you could say, oh, yeah, glasses, you know, brown hair, short, parted on the side. Okay. But I think, yeah, as I've drawn it more, it's certainly uh, we've merged. Well, as we get in future issues, like as we get glimpses of uh, future Billy, uh, that's, when it, that's when it clicked for me where I was like, oh, son of a bitch. That's Joe drawing himself. as a cheater. cheating <laughs> son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it works. Like, no, but it works. I want to be Grady. I want to be Grady. Someone was talking about. Um, someone was talking about the book. Uh, it was maybe it was a review or something. But they were talking mm. about uh, the thing being how how distinct the people are and how the people feel how or how the I think the way they said it was that like the the art has this sort of indistinct distinctness. So you have that soft cartoonishness. But every character feels like the shape of them is so strong and their silhouette is so strong that you know who you're looking at all the time, well, which I think is, is really cool. Like, I think that's one of the that's one of the, you know, one of the things that really works. Right. About the book. Well, I mean, you can even like on what is it on page? Oh, now I'm going to have to just see the, all this for for a joke. This is pathetic. OK, what is it? Five. I'm going back. Five, six, seven, eight. Oh, yeah, on 15, I was really oh. careful to make Natasha's butt really distinctive. It is a very it's, – it's one of those things because it's also pretty close to like – You want to get in the artist's studio? That's what I'm Uh-oh. talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That butt needed to Hold be on. distinct. I got – sorry. I got another call that came in, so I got cut off, I think. But I'm still here. You still have me? You're here. Yeah, we're here. Okay. Sorry. So I was just like randomly talking over you talking. <laughs> I do think the butt is my like that is number one. It's like on the fall open page, which I uh-huh. think is. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, it's, well, it's like it's one off, it? actually. I think it's, it's one this, off. Is it? Um, yeah. Well, let's see. Hold on. Oh, no. Because then the next page is uh, is the full frontal. So you really what you're managing. And then you have that sexy, the sexy bra shot. So what we're really doing, I think there's a misunderstanding of what we're doing, where people think we're doing this sort of smart, sophisticated sci fi. When really it's just about finding ways to get Joe to draw sexy chicks naked. Um, we we are the worst instincts. It just comes out. We can't help ourselves. I don't know. What? What happened? What? 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 Keep going. Joe go? Joe's gone. Get Joe. All right. We're back. <laughs> See what we... Yeah, and like I, I do think that what we have done quite wisely in this era of uh, fighting for viewers is the fall open page to the book where the staple is 
the page before it has an excellent butt shot, and then the next page we have underpants uh, and uh, sex space. And full body, full frontal nudity, and sex space. Yes. Our aspirations to grandness are non-existent. So so you mapped out the whole series with this in mind. Okay, we need to write this many pages... you know, like in, in Watchmen, they have uh, he did all the stuff where like you can read the issues front ways and back ways, and they're all the same. We did that, but just with how can we put naked girls in the middle of every book just in case? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know? Even when it was just digital. Yeah, it's weird. It was a very specific. Well, it's I worked on uh, I worked on Lonely Girl fifteen, which was this like you know this web series, this very popular web series, and uh, one of the things was back then YouTube auto generated the uh, the freeze frames. <laughs> And so what the what the producers would do is you would go in and they would get like the sexiest picture, like the sexiest free you know screen grab they could, and then you just put a single frame of it like directly in the center, and then that screen grab would become the picture. So it's all these videos. They're like it's two people like having an argument, but there's one picture where it looks like she's bending over with her mouth open, and that one becomes the thing. And you're like that is just horrible. This is what are we doing? What are we are worst? We're the worst. <laughs> or like the shot where she's standing up, like she's standing up and the camera's too close, so it it fixates on her boobs. Like, and then you put that one right in the middle, and then people click on it, and it works. You do it on those videos; they get like seven million views because wow. men are the worst things in the world. We are disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> and love boobs. We just all there's just nothing nothing better. Yep. This is going south. This is going okay, south. So fast. What, yeah. So we're at, we're at what page now? We're at the we're at the middle now. Yeah. Yeah, so we're like, so go to where the staple is and look for the sex, and that's where we are if you're following along at home. Yeah. And then I love the um, the sunglasses. Is my other is one of my other. It's one of your weird touches. Mm. That I think it's some. I love I love her sunglasses. Yeah, well, that whole um, that whole thing where where Natasha is in the future, she's sort of like the first lady, and she leaves this kind of crazy looking White House bunk uh, itself, kind of like a, a bunker of sorts. Uh, that was all based on Patty Hearst. I, I looked at Patty Hearst in that photo of her from the Symbionese Army, <clears throat> Liberation Army, and mm-hmm. that's kind of like what I what I looked at for her, uh, kind of like her outfit. And the glasses were kind of like a little bit of an ir- ironic joke because in a lot of the captions, a lot of her letter sort of t- talks to her about how she's you know she's just going to do what she's going to do anyway she is who she is and she's going to be sort of like unmoved by this letter anyways and so the butterfly wings of the the glasses being sort of like a play on she's actually you know kind of in a stasis she doesn't actually ever become the butterfly she's just in her she's just who she is her own cocoon she never becomes anything different than what she's already going to be yeah, and that's it's one of the interesting things. Like one of the things I tried to do when we were kind of formulating the series, and like as we charted out characters, you know, plots is like that each of them has to take it has to take a different tack. You know, like you mm-hmm. can't just have five people who are all like, "Great, let's yeah. do this, and we will save the world." Uh, yeah, let's get together on this. Um, and so, and what this first issue does, it's it's interesting because I'm I'm a big fan of lying. I'm of in general, like I just make mm. shit up. No, no uh, I'm a big fan of lying uh, for in fiction. Like I think having characters who lie is about the most interesting thing you can do. And what's cool is that you now have characters who are not only lying to each other, but in effect are lying to themselves. 
Mm-hmm. And so you never know, um, at least as we start, like you never know the truth. You never know who's telling who what because we're getting sort of these bits and pieces. The the thing I always say um, when we talk about it is it's the idea is that they're trying to save the future using the cliff notes. <laughs> you know, like they yeah. have like they have like the basic plot of Romeo and Juliet, but they have none of the subtlety. Of Romeo and Juliet. Right. And so it's like writing, they're like trying to fix things and all they can ever do is really just sort of adjust and try to figure it out. Um, and you get to see, you know, on our second issue, especially like all it takes is one extra piece of information. You know, Grady finds something out right at the top of issue two that just completely spins everything that we learn in issue one. That, that was something, um, something that I was going to kind of bring it. So, you know, they all know what they do to contribute to, you know, the, this future. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's I, I guess the question is, and, and I don't know if you want to answer this or whatever, but it's like, does it require all of them to change something? I mean, is like one person changing something enough or do they all need to change something? Or, you know, is it, and then you get into questions like, is it fated this is going to happen or? Well, that's what, I mean, that's sort of the question of the book at the end of the day. Like, that's what the book is about for me. Like, when I'm when I'm sitting down to think about story and when I'm thinking about the, the chart of these characters, as it is, it's that idea of, like, do they have to all be on the same page? Like, what do they have to do? You know, because the way we understand time travel, right, is, is the looper, the looper of it all, that it's all going to happen, that there's an inevitability, like, there's a, there's sort of, like, there's that, there's that version of it, which is the, um, the agnostic, not even agnostic, where there's sort of the atheist view, which is like this fatalism of like, it's just going to, it's chaos and chaos happens. And then I think there's sort of the, the wish fulfillment, you know, almost more agnostic view, which is the, the back to the future. Be like, well, I'm going to do this and it's going to fix everything. <laughs> and I love the tension between those two things. Cause that's really what the question is, is you have one character in Grady who's being told like all you can do is make things worse. So you have to, you have to follow the line. Like you have to follow this path that we're on Hmm. while at the same time you have, you know, you have Billy who, what he kind of takes away from it is like, well, we need to fix things. Like, well, this is, this is what needs to happen. Like we have to fix it. Like we can't just let these things happen. And the journey of those two friends having to kind of travel that distance is is the the bulk of the story for me like so it's it's an ensemble piece but to me like the two of them are really the bookends like the two of them really are the the through line for the whole thing um and i think you know i think that's one of the nice parts of of reading the book all is reading those five chapters all at once is that i think it it makes it work that way so that you really get that it's and it's mostly just because i'm uh, i don't know that i'm capable of writing five people's stories simultaneously i don't think i I don't think I'm smart enough. So like I, I know. So like I focus. So by focusing what you on are, I know. Well, no, but every issue, and that's the thing is, every issue is sort of narrows down so that we're we're spending time with one character or two characters, and we don't get sort of caught in their drama. You know, like we get the we don't get caught in in putting people like writing writing like the Ultimates over at Marvel. It's literally like I you can tell stories, but to some degree. When you have 13 characters, you have to just make sure they're all there. Mm-hmm. And you have to give everybody a purpose for being there. Otherwise, they can't be there. Um, and so you, you get, you spend a lot of time juggling, 
what's nice about what we're doing and, and, you know, part of it being that I don't need to make sure Captain America is in every issue, you know, is, is that I can focus on who I want to focus on when I want to focus on them. And that's really been as like, cause we're, we're on issue four right now. Um, and working on issue four, like that's one of the fun things is it's just like, I can tell the story how I want to tell it with the, the speed and, and levity and, seriousness and all that stuff that I actually want instead of sort of like, this is what people expect it to be. Um, mm. which is the hardest part. It's the hardest part of doing, of doing work for hire is that you're, you're battling people that expectations for what you can do and can't do. Well, I think, but yeah. I also, you know, and going back to issue one, I think that that's one of the great things about it is we did, we do kind of like you do sort of touch on everybody and it's right. sort of like we have this one catalyst of a moment where it's like these, okay, so they're going to discover these letters. And then, like Josh says, you sort of see how they kind of all react. And it's it's sort of like the domino is tipped in every character's case. And where it's going to lead them, you, we get some indication of that. But it really kind of like gets the whole thing up and running. Well, our whole first arc, our whole, our whole first arc is that story you know it's really the story of like they've had this catastrophic thing this cataclysmic thing happen to them thing that has completely changed their worldview and so as we move forward it's really about how do they how do they cope with that and how do they deal with it Mm -hmm. so where are we where are we now what we we, we've passed the halfway mark on our commentary we've passed the the fall open page we're well past that. I think. Yeah, we're in, so we're in the future. We're going back. I'm currently, yeah, finishing off. Uh, I've got Natasha here in bed with her letter and uh, what looks like a bottle of, of, of Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. And we're switching over now to, to Daniel. Anything yeah, like, you want to talk about, I, Daniel? I find it. I find it interesting. Like I said, it's it's weird because this is. The weirdest part about doing this issue specifically was that we were really just doing the book again. Yeah. And so figuring out like how to make things read and how to make the shape of it work was really challenging. And so that's actually like the sellout is nice. The kind of response from people that they really loved it and that it really, you know, works for them is, is the more satisfying part. So like even on this, like we took the chunk, you know, in, in the digital comic, the heart of Daniel's story was that Natasha was fucking Grady to get back at him, like as she was revenge fucking him. And that mm. section had to be moved so that it made sense plot wise. Um, so it now happens, what, like 10 pages earlier. So we're still seeing his story, but it's sort of like removed with, with the, with what was in the digital version, it's heart kind of removed. And so instead, what you have is it, I think it actually makes it, a much more personal story for him where he's so sort of engrossed in his role in knowing what he's going to do that he like it, it becomes almost more personal. And I think I was actually just talking to, I was talking to our editors and I think his journey, I think Daniel's journey is also just is so interesting because there is like of everybody, he has no good answer. Like he's told that he's going to fix everything except that he's going to screw it up. And like what that? Oh, did we lose you, Josh? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I I think uh, we we're going. Yeah, we're going. Okay, done. Um. Yeah, I think Daniel's arc is sort of the most interesting because he has. There's no good answer for him. 
You know, he's a guy who essentially everything, anything he does, he kind of loses. So if he walks away from his destiny, the world starves. If he follows his destiny, he's going to screw it up. And so he kind of doesn't have a choice. Like in his mind, it's like, well, I have to try and save the world. I have to try and feed the world. And by feeding the world, saving the world. Um, so I was talking to, I was talking to James, uh, James Lucas Jones, our editor and Robin Herrera, who's the assistant editor. I was actually talking to him right before you guys called. And that's one of the things is, is his story and his choice is sort of so much more personal than everyone else's that I think it's really, and it's, and it's relatable because we all, we all just have that moment where we know we can do this thing that'll benefit, you know, that'll benefit one group of people or it'll benefit yourself or it'll benefit your family but it's going to be at the expense of the people around you. Um, and it also, it's, it's like when I talk to the book, when I talk to people about the book, like I think it's one of the kind of clearest conundrums in the book, you know, it's sort of the clearest line that there is. It's a no win situation. Yeah. Yeah. I like with, when I was doing Daniel's chapter, I felt like, uh, he had kind of, you know, when we see him in the future, he seems the the least comfortable in his own life. Like uh, future Grady seems to have kind of, uh, you know, some acceptance of his role. And he's actually kind of seems like he's filled it in some way and is very comfortable and like has uh, it's sort of in some way um, like, you know, in, in your life, you sort of have certain challenges. And I think for Grady, it's like kind of maybe fear and a little bit of like just being a little maybe timid and we see some of that in issue three. Um, but when we see him in issue one is in the future, he seems very self-possessed, very sure of himself. Um, but when we, and when we look at uh, Daniel, on the other hand, my interpretations of the script was that he was like very, very almost broken, trying to kind of, um, you know, uh, solve this puzzle that he's, Probably he, you know, he kind of knows he's destined to maybe not really solve. When it's in a, you know, like again, like I love what I love about the book and what we what we kind of strive for in every issue is that by the last page, their worldview, their understanding of the situation is is rocked to the point mm-hmm. of of no return. That it's constantly escalating upwards and upwards towards you know it, like it just it constantly has to get worse and worse for them um partly because i'm a bastard and i like doing horrible things to characters it really gets a lot out of me gets a lot of my frustrations out but you know it's it's, it's the idea that like when when you're telling a story like this like you can you can overcomplicate it with with characters and you can overcomplicate it with plot you know, but what it really comes down to is if you can make the character's journey, the character journeys sort of clear and concise and we understand the, the trauma that they're going through and the decisions they have to make, I think that's when people identify with it. So I think, you know, I think what's like a, you know, there's a the criticism of the book for me is, is that like, oh, it's not it's not clear what everyone's doing or whatever believes and what everyone knows. And, you know, my that is like well yeah that's, like that's the story and i think i think we've kind of trained readers uh in comics like we've tried to expect all the answers up front and you know the book is a mystery and we're gonna play out that mystery 
you know, as a part of the adventure. Like that's that's really the fun part. So as these characters kind of get to know themselves and get to know each other and their their you know what what their roles mean, you get to learn a little bit more as we go. Um, but we still move at a good. I think like I feel like this issue like this issue is like a trade. Like it's so dense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a ton of content, but it's also just the tip of the iceberg. Now, now how is uh, the next issue going to compare, like, in size? Uh, it's regular. That one's regular. Standard. In size. Standard 22-page comic. Okay. I would, this would kill Joe if he had to do this every month. <laughs> it, took him, it took him, well, it was five, it was five months worth to get to the, to get the stuff done, you know. And then uh, to combine it and, and do all that stuff for, like, another month. So it's really it's it's uh, it's standard size because that standard size is standard size for a reason because yeah. it's the only way to not kill your artist. Yes. Wuss. I mean, if Joe could <laughs> handle more, but he's just such a he's such a whiny little girl. Right. The only thing left to do on this book actually is the writing. So uh, be careful over. if you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. You might not like the results, though. <laughs> It'll be eerily similar to your book, Time Fucker. Yeah, Sal is going to show up. Which I would like to encourage. Tony, have you read read Time Fucker yet? I have not. Well, it's available on my website right now. Um, Yeah, it's it's good for uh, alienating your audience and really creeping out uh, your your female readership. (laughs) I should look for that. That sounds great. I don't think so. I think it's actually because it's not like he's not being turned into a hero for being a shitbag. Like he's a shitbag, and it's all about the like. I think if anything, it's probably uh, vilifying, um, uh, vilifying um, uh, words. It's vilifying our people, Mm. our core audience, um, Mm. which is people of an intellectual bent with uh, possibly. Uh, stereotypically speaking, with poor social skills. Mm. So I think that's really the audience you're looking to offend. <laughs> yeah, it's really everybody. It's pretty broad. It's, an, it's, pretty it's a broad pretty equal opportunity offensive. Uh, yeah, thing. Uh, but back right, to the I just had a moment. I just had a. I just had a moment where I realized that there was an earthquake because there was an earthquake here like yesterday or two days ago, oh, and really? I realized it because. I have a giant, like, a, I have a statue that's just on the ground that I didn't notice until right now. Oh, there was an earthquake. It's the apocalypse okay. is coming. That's what living in California is like. You don't even notice them. Really? Yeah. All right. So, what do you, what do you guys, what else do you want to say about this issue before we wrap this up? I think it's great. Do you have any questions, Tony? Is there like a burning question that you've been dying to ask? How's it all longer? end? No. Uh, it's all a dream, and Bob <laughs> up in bed next to Suzanne Plachet. Um, no, you know we have an ending. Like there is an ending. It's I, like a lot of details have changed as we work on the book and as we talk about it more. But like how the book ends is still pretty clear, and still pretty much intact. So I uh, like I could probably write our last issue right now. And it would be pretty close to where we end up when we get there, hopefully, in three or four years. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Or until Joe goes crazy. When Joe goes crazy, then it's... Yeah, give me a couple that weeks. shit off. You know what I mean? It's you five. Call the day. 
Yeah. Done. All right. So issue two so, is yeah. in, say, or when, so to reprint, they can, they can get it now on Comixology. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, the reprint is coming the out. Next, I think it's March. Uh, March 12th. Or no, right? or March 12th is a second. March you know, 26th. March 12th is issue one, second printing. And okay. then March 26th is issue two. Right. And okay, those, that makes sense. those are both available. Both of those are final order cutoff. The final order cutoff for the reprint is Monday. And then the final order cutoff for the second issue is in like two weeks. Okay. Um, so you got to get out. And even with all the press and everything the book has gotten, if you like the book, um, you really need to tell your retailer about it. Because what happens is, is you know, we're going to get a big, nice bump in numbers from the speculator stuff. But we need the book to sell well enough that we can, you know, that Oni can afford to keep doing it and that Joe and I can afford to keep doing it. So if you like it, uh, tell your retailer and tell your friends. Keep keep spreading the word. And um, I, like I said, I told Joe, like, if uh, if there's an audience for me and Joe blathering about a book for a half hour, um, we will happily come back to it again for issue two. Okay. I think, you know, this is just me projecting into the future, uh, which is kind of appropriate. But I do think that what's going to end up happening if, happening if we continue to do this is I think um, we're going to probably start to have a lot of reader questions about certain character arcs, uh, certain little, you know, yeah. mysteries that are kind of, you know, dropped throughout. I think we're go- it's probably going to become a little bit of a discussion about uh, what are the potential potentials for some of the things coming down the road uh i think i want to be gonna... honest i'm a little disappointed that tony did not take the 20 minutes notice we gave him mm. when i'm when i'm together. recording another podcast and well and... look tony i've heard <laughs> you're great what you do um so we, we thought we were getting the best tony yeah if we knew that if we knew that you were only capable of conducting one interview at a time and not doing and rereading a book while doing that interview to make sure that you're up on it. If that's all you're doing, then then good day, sir. Good day to you. <laughs> all right, and that's a uh, special well, edition podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're extremely grateful. We're very Love we're very happy. You. We hope uh, we hope you guys like this. Um, and yeah, if you have think- questions for us. Send them to Tony. Tell them where, where do they send questions. Uh, well, they they can put in the comments here, or I mean, they right. they can just send it to podcast at comicvine dot com, and just you know specify right. bunker questions. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, I mean, do you want to do you want to commit? We're gonna we'll do for issue two. We'll do it when issue two comes out. We'll do another one. Yeah, we we can do this, and then we'll get the responses. So we'll be back here in like three. What is it? Four weeks? Yeah, yeah, four weeks. Yeah. We'll be back here in full. We'll do it again. And uh, we hope we, if you guys have questions, let us know. Yeah, definitely. And if there's things you want to talk about, if yeah, you want, want to ask. What well, by that time, we'll have questions and we, you know, we can start to talk about yeah, them. If you want to, if you want to ask me about uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four, don't. You can't do that. You're not allowed. <laughs> not, not okay. All right. And that's it. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, right. Tony. Thanks, everyone, for listening. So read the book, buy it, buy it again, buy a copy for your friend. When the re- www.whatisthebunker.com or no, yeah, thebunker.com or over at onipress.com or available on comicsology.com. Yeah. Okay, so we'll do this okay. again. All right, thanks, Tony. All right, and thanks, thanks Tony. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, everyone. Talk later. Uh-huh.